Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations, a podcast by Practical E-commerce. What is going on, Internet? Eric Banholtz here, back again with another e-commerce conversation. Oh, we're here in Austin. I got Paul Howdigie. You'll never be able to spell that correctly. It sounds nothing like it's spelled. He's uh, with BK Beauty here in Austin, Texas. They've grown from uh, zero in sales to a million within a year. Absolutely blows my mind. Incredible uh, what he's done. And I've brought him on here to kind of tell that story and then just, of course, ramble on. He's a fellow Twitter guy, so you can follow him on Twitter. And he's also in the ECF, uh, e-commerce fuel forum. So welcome, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for having me. Um, It's a pleasure. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. So how do you grow a million bucks in a year? No one does that. Yeah. So our online store, we launched it August 1st. And so within the first 12 months, yeah, we went from zero to seven figures in less than 12 months. It was actually four days shy of our one year anniversary. So it was, it was kind of cool to see those two milestones strike at the same time. But our story really started many years leading up to that. So a bit of a background on, on the company. It's cosmetics, it's makeup. My wife and I, it's kind of a husband-wife duo team. And so my wife is really on the, the makeup side in terms of her product expertise. She started about 15 years ago with MAC Cosmetics. Pure passion for makeup. It's just, you know, she's a makeup fanatic. Just working for them or what was she doing? Yeah, so it was her dream job. 15 years ago, she started a career at MAC Cosmetics that led up to her position as a regional trainer. So she would travel around and educate all the MAC artists and you know, Mac is a great company, but back 15, 20 years ago, like it was the big deal. It was her dream job. And so she dove into the deep end of the pool. She was traveling around training all their Mac artists on makeup artistry, technique, customer service, products, go down the line. She was a trainer and she found another passion of hers outside of makeup, which was the educational component. Six years ago, that uh, passion for makeup really led her to start a YouTube channel. I know you have a lot of experience with, with that st- side of the story as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would highly recommend it out yeah. there if, if it makes sense for your business. Yeah. And so at the time, it was purely a passion play for her. It was, it was a way for her to let out and express that side of her passion and share with the world uh, and teach women uh, makeup in an easy and attainable way. And so she took to YouTube about six years ago with no thought of what it would lead to whatsoever. Was she still a Mac employee at that time or had she gone out on her? She had left Mac since then. So we have two daughters, eight and six. And so it was about the time we started having our first daughter that she was interested in cutting down the traveling, looking for more of kind of like a Monday through Friday type job because her role in Mac, you know, had a lot of weekend uh, responsibilities. And so she pulled back from that. And so she picked up kind of this desk job selling TV and radio ads for the local TV stations and, and radio stations. She did that for a while. And it really wasn't part of her, her passion. Her passion was really makeup. And so the YouTube channel was an outlet for her in the evenings and weekends to express that passion. And so, yeah, so six years ago, she started on the YouTube path. It wasn't until about three years into it that she realized, well, shit, I can monetize this. Yeah. And, and so she 
she started meeting other YouTubers, learning the ropes and figuring out to, you know, whether it's affiliate links, you know, working with brand partnerships. Uh, so she started exploring that side and started making a little more money. Got to the point where she realized that she can step out of her day job and do this full time. And so that's what she did. And so about three, four years ago, she left her day job, full time YouTube content creator. And then it wasn't until about two years ago that we started connecting some dots as her audience was growing. A good friend of mine at the time, Casey Armstrong from ShipBob, he was in Austin at the time. He was with Big Commerce. I'd met him through my youngest daughter's school. Basically, our kids were in the same class, and it was just this random encounter. Right. My background is also in marketing and business. I spent the last decade in the cybersecurity space. And so I, I met, met up with Casey and you know two marketing guys talking shop, but he was talking about all this e-commerce stuff that I had no idea about. And he was so passionate about it. And it just, I was absorbed in it. And he, you know, found out what Lisa was doing. And I remember we were at his house and he said, Hey, you guys have already done the hard part. Developing a product is just table stakes. Right. You know, you have the distribution here. You should really think about, you know, building a brand out of this. And so that's when our journey started. We started connecting some dots, invested some money, went through the product development cycle, which took about nine to 12 months kind of our first round. And then it led up to our, our launch last August when we opened the floodgates and started selling direct to customers. Yeah. So a couple of questions I have. The brand she was working with, was she particular with who she worked with? Was it just color or was it tools or? Are you referring to? The sponsorships, right? Yeah. Because what I'm leading towards is like, how did you manage that relationship between like starting up your own products yep. and then also, you know, representing other brands in the past? Yeah. So Nothing has really changed from her channel. It's it's what her audience loves. She loves doing it. She's still engaged and working with a number of different brands. And what's unique in, and you may see it in other categories as well, but what I've found in the makeup and cosmetic space is there's enough room in every woman's, every person's makeup bag for multiple brands. Like there's no one brand to solve it all, especially the folks we sell into, which are the true makeup fanatics, right? Mm -hmm. They just love makeup. And so they're all about trying the next great thing. And Lisa continues to talk about uh, other brands and working directly with other brands as well. She also, you know, works with say like retailers like a Nordstrom on brand partnerships or, you know, a skincare line that's maybe, you know, outside of our category. But definitely the, the content that she's putting out hasn't materially changed that much since launching the brand. Yeah, I feel like that space is just... If you can get traction with your audience, it's just ripe for sponsorships and, and kind of growing that way. Were you ever concerned that this is like a different business model, you know, like the whole logistics and 3PLs and website management and compared to just, you know, simply getting more and more audience and raising your rates for sponsorship? Absolutely. I mean, it's two different beasts and that's, that's the way I look at it. I think it's the right way to look at it. Very different businesses. They both help each other a lot and there's a lot of synergies, but we definitely draw a distinction between the content creation, putting out content on YouTube for the audience, which is still very much a big part of it and engaging with that community. And so for us, ultimately, you know, we see, you know, content is what builds the community and it's the community that ultimately fuels commerce, which leads to our brand and the product sales uh, that we push out, but we never have a hard sell. Like all the content is basically pushing towards education. Yeah. And awareness, right? I mean, purely education, yeah. right? So talking about makeup techniques. Today, if you go to our website, you'll see that we have just makeup tools 
today for sale. So makeup brushes, there's a beauty sponge as well. Um, and so the reason why we started with the makeup brushes is because from a YouTube video perspective, the one commonality in every makeup tutorial is they're all using brushes. They could be trying different kinds of makeup from different brands, but the one single factor is there's a brush. And so in that video, it could be, you know, a feature video on a set of brushes. Maybe it's our brushes or our product could be more of a supporting cast in that video. And so brushes was really kind of a strategic starting point for us. But you'll see through the end of this year, us moving into colored cosmetics with some launches kind of around the holiday 2020, and then also continuing into, into years to come. Yeah, I think brushes, man, like we sell combs and brushes as well for your beard. And they're great because, you know, no shelf life, easy to ship. They're yeah. lightweight, they're small, like it checks all the e-commerce boxes. As you get into color, you'll realize, you know, there's a little more challenge with that as trends and color change and things like that. Yeah, so you, you definitely, in my opinion, hit a strategic home run with that. I wanna talk about the development of the product process. Like how many units did you know how to buy? Like what was the risk? What was the investment? Yep. Walk me through that. Yeah, so we had no idea what the true demand was gonna be. Uh, we did have some data in front of us that informed our decision-making process. That data was years and years of affiliate sales from that audience, right? So we had insight into the purchasing behavior of her audience, that captive audience, and adjacent audience as well, which we can go into how we've kind of landed and expanded into other influencer bubbles. But, you know, the product development process, everything was new to us. You know, I'm here having a conversation with you, but I've only been doing this for, you know, through product development for about 12 months and then a little over 12 months from actually taking that product to market and seeing what true demand we can drum up. And so we still have a long way to go. But early in the process, the way we approached it, again, just learning every step of the way, we first knew that we wanted to start with brushes. You mentioned some of the complexities that come around when you're doing formulations and fills and product shelf life. We wanted to reduce complexity at all costs. You know, brushes are, are three components, the brush head, the ferrule and the handle. There's not a lot of room for mess up in terms of, you know, just make sure the aesthetics are on point and the brush is, is a superior brush, right? And so we checked those boxes. It took us a while. We reached out and tried to figure out how you, you know, knock on the door of a supplier, manufacturer, how do you even find them to begin with? Uh, and then ultimately figuring out that shit, you got to sell yourself to them as well to get their attention. And so had a lot of phone calls just going down the line, a lot of kind of like no responses. Yeah. So you're just Googling, I assume, right? Basically Googling. No trade shows or? So ultimately we did go to a trade show and that was kind of a big moment to connect with the manufacturer and supplier, see them face to face, have a conversation. And so early 2019, we went to what's called Makeup in, I guess this was LA, but they have them in different markets. So we went down there, we met with the supplier got to meet a couple others as well. And so what was amazing to me, again, as just someone green to the space that had no idea what they were doing, what was amazing to find out is that these suppliers, once you sell yourself to them, they're in it with you, mm -hmm. right? They're gonna walk through this long product development cycle with you, at least in our case, and I would imagine similar case across the board, go through that nine month process, that 12 month process. We didn't pay anything for that, 
right? Right. They led us through that process. We got to work with design consultants, make sure we were getting exactly what we were wanting to do, go through the sampling process, the technical designs, and just get it all squared away. Ultimately, you know, making sure MOQs were kind of where we needed them to be to feel comfortable. The terms that the vendor was, you know, offering us, the supplier, we were able to negotiate net 30 out of the gate with 50% down payment. And our initial inventory purchase was $15,000. So we were willing to kind of take that risk. Based on the data we were sitting on, looking at, you know, the trends of similar products that Lisa was already selling for other brands that she was making a small commission on, ultimately we'd have a bigger chunk to realize in terms of the return if we brought our own product to market. So that 15K was for how many units? And again, the question I'm getting at is like, did you have to do the MOQ for all these or is that pretty much? Yeah. So our first run, we did our first nine brushes. So there's nine specific SKUs in that PO. Since then we've extended and now we have 16 total unique brush types. But at the beginning, eight brushes, the MOQs was a thousand each. And we just stuck to the thousand because good problem to have is running out of inventory when you can't judge the man. So let's just kind of keep it tight and then get ready to push the reorder button as soon as possible. Yeah. How long did it take to sell through that? Was that pretty quick turn? Yeah, we sold out within about three weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so leading up to it, day one, I mean, I'm still chasing the rush of like day one launch. Yeah. Your first sale is like the highest high you'll yeah. ever have. And it's like a drug. You, you just chase it. Man. It, it was amazing. <laughs> and so we're, we're sitting there, you know, leading up to launch day. And it's my wife and I were sitting in my office with our two girls and we get our oldest girl to, to push the go live button, you know. And of course, we had a lot of you know, videos and hype leading up to it. I mean, we had people waiting for this moment in terms of buyers on the other end of, of the fence. And I mean, it was it was amazing. You push the button and immediately within, like we went into the black within like the first 60 seconds. Yeah. And then we sold out within three, four weeks, something like that. How long does it take for them to manufacture? And like, when did you feel comfortable? Like this is what I need to be reordering in my timeframes and things like that? Yeah, so again, with brushes, there's no shelf life. For us, it was just a pure decision around cash flow. And given the gross margins, we're able to, you know, recoup our investment relatively quickly. And so, you know, if we only need to sell through, you know, a certain percentage of that inventory purchase, it gives us some level of confidence. And again, with the vendor terms in terms of payment, net 30, we're in kind of, uh, you know, our cash flow positive. Yeah, exactly. So converting that inventory to cash, you know, we haven't even paid for that inventory yet. That's been a huge help. And basically after that first inventory purchase, you know, we submitted a a reorder like within that first week because we knew we were going to sell out. We were on that path. And so we got it going. It takes uh, about two months for that product. Yeah, it's a bit of a time. Yeah. So you're out of stock of pretty much everything then? Yeah. So it, it started with like, yeah, I mean, so there was <laughs> a huge spike and then kind of a lull and then we quickly got it back uh, going. Well, that's good. You kind of train your uh, audience to be quick if they want it. You know, that's the, that's the one advantage of selling out. I was curious how you uh, decided your pricing structure for everything. Like, was there yeah. any, what was your strategy on that? Yeah, good question. So pricing, the way we looked at it, again, we were sitting on a mound of data in terms of what the audience, what their purchasing behavior looked like. And we wanted to really cater to the biggest segment as possible that we could go with. And so we didn't want to, you know, outprice a certain segment of that audience. We wanted to bring a really high-end product, but a product that was attainable for most folks. And so it, it is more on the the kind of, if you have kind of a spectrum between, you know, mass market and prestige, you know, ours is going to be sitting on the upper end of kind of the premium side. 
not quite luxury. It's not ridiculous, but it's not super cheap, but you're getting a high quality product. And the way that we determine that, and it's interesting, one thing I found getting exposure to cosmetics and the product development side is, especially in cosmetics, the industry, the players are really bringing a product to market is just the table stakes, right? The way that the leaders in the space differentiate themselves is marketing and distribution, right? We had a clear path in terms of our distribution strategy, in terms of kind of where we wanted to fall within the spectrum of that mass market versus prestige. It was really a matter of just picking where we wanted to fall and obviously price point maps back to that and then just build product accordingly. Yeah, There's relatively low levels of innovation in our space that we see. And so it's really about kind of what audience are you going to be catering to and, and build accordingly. I got some innovation for you. I'll tell you off air. Okay. I, got, yeah. I got some ideas on, on what you could do. That would be pretty dope. Yep. I want to shift this into like your relationship with your wife. How do you maintain a marriage and work together and raise two kids like and not yeah. want to go at each other's throats? Yeah, I have kind of a good compass on that front. My parents have been working together for you know, going on 40 years now. And I grew up in that household, so I kind of saw how it did work. So going into it, I didn't really have a mindset of looking at it in a way that could cause issues. You know, of course, what really helps us is there's a clear delineation between what's on Lisa's desk in terms of roles and responsibilities and mine. Like she's very much front office, you know, face of the company. Yeah, I don't even use the product, right? I don't use makeup. Really? No, I don't. That's how you got such amazing skin. Oh, thank you, sir. But no, my role is more on back office, right? Operations, learning, you know, inventory management, dealing with the suppliers, negotiating with them, all the business, you know, tech stack, operations, logistics, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you turn it off though? Or like you guys talking business 24 seven, you know? Okay. Yes. Good question. I don't turn it off. I've never operated my life like that. So I think that kind of helps even when we weren't working together so closely around this specific business. In terms of work-life balance, it's, at least for me in, in my life, it's one and the same. Obviously, there's something to say about having some level of balance, but it's intertwined. I guess the right answer is I don't turn it off. Yeah. And your, your wife too, or yeah, she can turn and it off? Yeah, it's good. I enjoy having someone there by my side all the time, <laughs> morning and night, to be able to talk about ideas, to, to push things forward, to evaluate what worked about this, what may not work, and have like exploratory conversations about new things to try. And yeah, it's, we make it work. I assume you didn't start this full time, right? You came onto it and yep. you were working somewhere else. It was a side hustle, right? Yep. When and how did you make that decision to make the leap? Yeah. So I mentioned late 2018 is when we first started, you know, mentally thinking that we wanted to pursue this and start figuring out how to bring a product to market and develop a brand. And like I said, I took about nine to 12 months. So that was all, at least for me, nights and weekends. I was full-time. I'd been working with cybersecurity startup, great company, came in. It was actually my roommate in college, founded the company. And I came in early, a couple of people around the card table kind of thing. And we scaled it up. They're just under 100 people now. Phenomenal company, doing great. I had a really big passion for that space and my, my work in that space, but ultimately got to the point where I started finding a new passion. And so it was crowding out my former passion. And so for me, it was all throughout 2019, nights and weekends kind of thing. Even once we got up to launch and we did, and we still are doing self-fulfillment, there was some freaking surges in sales that you're not sleeping for three days kind of thing because you got to keep up, but good problems to have. Right. I'm all about good problems. Yeah. Give me more good problems. I love it. And so for me, what it looked like is 
right after launch, I knew that on the personal side, and it was a very difficult transition for me to go through personally because my personal identity was so tied to this other company that I'd been at for 10 years. And so mentally, I had to kind of work through that. I knew that there was going to be a point where you know, conversations we need to have, transition plan needed to be put in place. And so I want to say it was right after our launch or leading up to it, I sat down with our founder CEO. I said, hey, you know, we're going to have to start talking about my transition plan. And we don't need to unpack that so much, but work through it together. And it wasn't until six months later, I actually exited and went on full time with BK Beauty. And so we, we had already done like maybe half a million in sales at that point. And so I'd already replaced my income, you know, multiple times, and well, not multiple times, but it was yeah. trending towards that way, right? It wasn't a financially motivated decision. It was more kind of like my personal journey to get to that place where I wanted to mash the throttle on this new venture. And so March 13th, it was a Friday, was kind of my last day. We were already working from home, given you know this whole pandemic thing that was just starting to change our world. I said, you know, virtually over Google Meet, my goodbyes to, you know, a team of 60 plus at the time who I'd worked with for a long time. And then, you know, that next Monday quarantine started. Yeah. And so it was just honestly a perfect timing. I, I couldn't imagine after quarantine started to continue to maintain these two roles and doing this night and weekends. And then now you layer on like homeschooling and, and just this madness. Timing wise, it really worked out well. Hopefully like that is a model for so many other people who are doing it. It's like, you know what you're doing, you build something on the side, you build it up, you feel confident that you can go out. And not only that, you, you let your current employer know what's going on and you give them plenty of time to make the replacement. And you know, like you're not burning any bridges, you're helping that transition and then you're going on your pathway as well. Yeah. I mean, the world's too small to burn bridges these days. Yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, being that he was a founder as well, hopefully he understands uh, that passion that you have for the business. He didn't feel too, uh, you know, let down or whatever. I would imagine 10 years of working for a person, that would be a challenging thing. It definitely was. But yeah, we worked through it. Still love the company, love the team, have an ownership stake that I'm still, you know, taking with me. And so, you know, I want to see that they're in good hands and my seat is filled with someone who's capable. Yeah. What's next? Are you going to start hiring people? Are you going to push to a 3PL? Are you going to just keep it between the two of y'all? Yeah. So growth is, we're going to grow, uh, continue to grow, continue to accelerate. And so we opened up an office, small office that we kind of go to, and we hired our first employee already in November of last year. So very quickly. What role was that? So a little bit of every hat. I mean, starting off small. How did you make the job listing? Or was it a friend that yeah. you hired? Or? Okay, good question. So we knew her uh, in the past. It was actually maybe six years. She was a babysitter for us and our, our girls early on. And then she went off to school and came back and she was looking for a job at the time. And she kind of hit us up. It's like, hey, you know, I'm looking. And so we knew a bunch of folks that we were trying to connect her with. And But ultimately, you know, several months after that, we're like, hey, we should just hire Courtney. Like, I think it'd be a great role for her. What, what do you think? Hiring your first employee, like that, that's crazy. Oh, it's the scariest thing ever. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. And so it was an easy transition for us since we already had a history working with her and she's phenomenal. So her role, I mean, our first hire was quote unquote executive assistant. So it was pretty much all the things that I didn't want to do. Right. Yeah. They would do like mostly customer service and yep you know, posting on social media and things like that. I don't know how you outline the roles and set up expectations for her, or is it just come in and help us out? Whatever we tell you, kind of get it done. 
a little bit of everything. And so she came in first primary responsibilities, you know, support everything. Like you said, everything that we don't want to be doing, we're still doing, but now we, we have someone who can help us do more of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so fulfillment, maintaining all of that customer service, like you mentioned as well, she's phenomenal at that, you know, better than I am. So might as well, you know, give her the line share, but yeah, just supporting each of the facets of the business so that we can manage it with just a small team. Yeah. Are you going to go with the 3PL or are you going to keep that in-house? Or Yeah. So we've been speaking with a number of 3PLs to find kind of a good fit. We wanted to go and kind of outsource fulfillment earlier. The pandemic, I think, slowed those plans down. I didn't feel comfortable. I think our business, the success we've had is if we didn't have the constraints that we had going in and just the reduction of complexity. And I, I actually think outsourcing fulfillment is is introducing additional levels of complexity not reducing it it's it's unloading you from the burden of having to manage it which is complex in and of itself but to be able to see the physical inventory in front of you to know how it's being packed to have such control over the unboxing experience and i think we maybe make more errors in terms of pick pack but i think uh, we're, we're more efficient long term ultimately it doesn't scale and so it, it's really for us the biggest pain point is these big spikes that just bury us right? In terms of fulfilling these orders and it's all hands on deck and we bring in additional people to help out and it's manageable. Get those girls to work, man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Later on this year, it's going to be very difficult to manage without sending it out. And that's the primary motivation to help us through these spikes when, you know, we've had days this year where we've done 40K in a day. It's a lot of orders. You're not sleeping. You're bringing in other folks, you're burning them out. Like it's tough. And so ultimately we'll get into a 3PL. I know that COVID has thrown a lot of wrenches in the 3PL engines out there. And so I really want to start off a relationship with 3PL on solid ground, just so we can have kind of a, a positive relationship out of the gate. I don't know if COVID's the right time to start that. Yeah. As long as you can get orders out and they're coming in, I mean, yeah, make that work as long as possible. One of the lessons I always had was like, try not to make that move until something's like a, a really big pain point. One of my mistakes in, in life has just been like, oh, here's an opportunity. We'll hire a bunch of people with yeah. the expectation. We'll grow into it or we'll bring on the software with the expectation it's really going to help. It's like, no, nah, man, like wait until stuff is like right on the brink of like just exploding and, and breaking. And then that's when you make that switch. For a bootstrap company, I should say. Totally, totally. And it's those good problems to have going back to that. Like, give me more of those. Yeah. What can people do in terms of like helping you out, following you, checking out your business? Where to go? Yeah, for me, I'm more kind of on the business end. I love talking about kind of this exploration down e-commerce. And so for me, I'm pretty active, uh, as you know, on Twitter. Recently joined ECF, getting plugged in with other owner operators, learning from them. Again, I'm still green, but I think I'm on an expedited path. I need to learn from those who have seen it before really quickly. So what's your Twitter handle? It's just my name, Paul Howdegee, which you're not going to be able to spell. <laughs> yeah, how do you spell your last name? Sure, it's J-A-U-R-E-G-U-I. Yeah. And in terms of, of the brand and my wife, Lisa, what she's doing on the content side in the community, our website is bkbeauty.com. Lisa on YouTube and Instagram is Lisa J Makeup. Cool. Well, check them out, guys. I appreciate you swinging by the Beard Brand office during uh, these challenging times and sharing your story is quite impressive. Very envious of how you've been able to do it. And uh, I do think you have a bright future in front of you. So, man, guys, I hope you uh, enjoyed on the other end of the internet. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Keep on growing. <laughs>